0: Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? Brendan Schaefer here, joining you for another episode of b Shafe Daily. It is Thursday, January 30th, 2020, as we sit in the final days of the month of January, approaching February. February means the return of baseball in some form, even if it's not a competitive form. And then March, actually, this year, as was the case last year and in some previous seasons, marks the beginning of the regular baseball season. We're getting there. Slowly but surely, we're getting there. Um, today, I thought I would go for the show and go back a couple of days. I believe it might have been Monday, where I tweeted out asking for Cardinals questions or topics that people would like to hear me discuss on the show. And I actually put in their Bachelor questions, too, because my wife has me watching The Bachelor with her now. Uh, so if, if ever you'd like to hear a podcast about that, you just let me know. We could probably... Arrange that. I think it's hilarious, but um, as for today's show, I think what I'm going to do is run through some of those questions that you guys had on Twitter, and I'm not going to be able to answer all of them, but the ones that are reasonable, the ones that uh, I think I could, could riff on for a good couple of minutes and give a good qualified answer to, I will, and certainly there's been some Nolan Arenado talk, not with the Cardinals, but with the Cardinals' biggest rival in the NL Central, the Chicago Cubs. Of course, the Cubs and Chris Bryant this week had the ruling come down on his grievance that he filed against the team for service time manipulation, which you remember back in 2015 when he was a rookie, the Cubs sent him down to AAA for like a couple weeks in April and said, you know, we, we, we think he's got to work on his defense. You know, this Chris Bryant, we think he's going to be a good player, but uh, he's not quite ready. He's got some polishing. Uh, to get done before before we can put him in our lineup then of course a couple of weeks later they called him up they didn't take him out of the lineup for the rest of the year he played 150 games one rookie of the year was fantastic but based on the way baseball does their service time it was deemed that because he wasn't on the roster as of april whatever chris bryant did not accumulate enough service time for that to count as a year so essentially the cubs got an extra year of chris bryant before his uh, free agency becomes eligible it's a joke, but the the ruling went down in favor of the Cubs. And so now people are speculating over whether that means Chris Bryant could potentially be traded. Because, of course, what that means is he's under arbitration this season, I believe, for about $18.6 million, I saw somewhere. So you'd figure he'd, he'd have another year of arbitration in 2021. His salary would go up from there, It'd be pretty pricey, but not as pricey as Nolan Arenado. In the Colorado Rockies, reportedly seemingly would like to get out from under that contract, despite the fact that they just gave Nolan Arenado the deal less than a year ago, about a year ago, and he had a phenomenal season in 2019. So what has changed over the last 12 months that has caused them to rethink their position on having Nolan Arenado as a franchise player over the course of the next six or seven years, whatever it is left on that deal. I couldn't tell you, but what it means is we've got rumors now that the Cubs are entertaining with the Rockies a one-for-one swap of Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado. Uh, Essentially, I think some money would have to probably change hands in order for that to make sense for the Cubs. Uh, And if you're the Cubs, why wouldn't you ask for that? Because if, you know, the rumblings are that the Rockies want to get out from under this contract, you can say, look, you can pay Chris Bryant for a couple of years, a comparable player. Arenado is probably the better player, but Chris Bryant, a very good player in his own right, and you're not on the hook for that long-term contract, you still have the benefit of a very good player, we'll take the guy with the big, long contract. We'll plug him in at third base if we're the Chicago Cubs. And if you throw us a little bit of extra money on the top, we'll just we'll just call it good. Um, I don't know how realistic that is, but when you're talking about the Colorado Rockies front office, I think you have to go into it with a mindset that anything can happen. Like Let's say the Rockies had been engaging with the Cardinals on trade discussions for Arenado, and they had their ask, the Cardinals are you know, not willing to give up premium players. And so the Rockies are saying, okay, we'll do it for, uh, you know, Dakota Hudson, Nolan Gorman, and Andrew Kisner. And like, they just keep adding all these ands. And maybe the Cardinals are like, look, from our point of view, you're going to have to give us Arenado plus some money in order to pay down his contract And then we'll give you a couple players, even a, you know, a a centerpiece for this deal potentially. But we're not giving you four premium players, three premium players like the Rockies may have been asking for. You know, the reports that we've seen are just that the sides, uh, the Rockies and the Cardinals are just probably far apart on, you know, what their idea of of a sensible trade would be. So using that logic, you could go look at this Cubs and Rockies potential offer and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. They're not really, what are they gaining? Uh, You know, they're only would be gaining one good player in that instance, and it would only be a player that they'd have for the next two years and they got to pay him. But far be it for me to try and get into the mind of the Colorado Rockies for an office and figure out what they're trying to do because it changes with the wind. So who could know? Uh, But I I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, way to begin talking about this uh, for the show today, because there's obviously some questions about Arenado in this crop of questions that I received uh, on Twitter so let's dive into it uh, with some of the questions I can answer easily and then maybe get into some of the harder ones uh, Dan asked if the Cardinals are in the middle of a rebuild for next year um, that's an easy one no they're not in the middle of a rebuild um, quite the opposite they expect to contend they they expect internally to improve upon what they did last season I understand that if you look at their lineup you don't see those improvements but I thought there was a good uh, a good thought brought up today by somebody else on Twitter I got to pull it up because it was not in the same thread as I'm looking at now. But uh, somebody said that they were curious how many of the fans that are expressing concern of the Cardinals' approach to letting the young guys get a shot, talking about that outfield position where you let Ozuna go and you have Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson, the like, competing for playing time in the outfield. How many of those fans that are saying, we need a bona fide left fielder, we need a cleanup hitter, were the same people that, complained about not finding a spot for a guy like Oscar Mercado after he found success in Cleveland. I don't want to compare these two directly. I'm not saying that the Cardinals couldn't have gone out and traded for Arenado. I'm not saying they couldn't have uh, made a free agent signing of, of somebody like Castellanos. Like, if they had done the deal the Reds did, I'd probably be sitting here telling you, yeah, I think they probably paid a little bit more than they needed to. That's a four-year, $64 million contract uh, for a guy that, you know, may or may not pan out, can't really play defensively, so you're kind of just basing it on his bat. It's a an upgraded Jose Martinez, if you will. you know. But at least they went out and did something. I can respect that. But I think in the Cardinals' case, and I can, to an extent, understand where they're coming from, they look at it as saying, again, how much better of an overall asset to our team is somebody like Marcel Zuna, is somebody like Castellanos going to be compared to some of these guys that we want to find out what they can do rather than ship them off to Cleveland or Chicago White Sox or whoever. And and then find out after that, because some of the guys that they still have around, I think the Cardinals have some level of belief in, and they'd like to, they'd like to be the team that finds out whether or not these guys can play. And so we've seen the Cardinals take different approaches in different off seasons, one off season, when you could argue looking back that they probably could have done nothing and it would have been fine. That was the year they just thought they absolutely had to sign Dexter Fowler to an $80 million contract. Probably, in my opinion, because they started out early in that offseason thinking they told everybody at the end of season press conference, we need a center fielder. We, we're we're going to go get somebody this offseason. OK, fine. They they thought in their head, I believe this is my belief. It's just speculation. Uh, but I think they wanted to add a meet in that winter. And then you see what the Washington Nationals traded uh, to get Adam Eaton. it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, that was not a, a price we were willing to pay. And so they settled for Dexter Fowler and, you know. They were happy to get him. They they thought he could be the leadoff guy that they wanted. He had a really good season, had a bad season. Last year was fine. We'll see what he does this year. But the point being that the Cardinals have taken different approaches in different off seasons. And in this off season, it's sticking to their guns on, let's see what these young guys can do. Back when everybody, you know, was clamoring for an outfielder, the Cardinals told everybody they were going to get an outfielder. And then Dexter Fowler was that guy. Nobody was disappointed when that deal happened, right? In, In real time, everybody said, Good for the Cardinals for going above and beyond. They spent the money and they got their guy. Now, a few years later, we're talking about this Dexter Fowler contract. Like, oh, is he going to be replaced in the outfield? He's not really producing up to what they're paying him. Okay, that's fine. But recognize then that when these other guys are being signed to contracts and the Cardinals aren't doing it this time and they're saying, hey, let's just roll with the guys that we have and we want to find out what we have in them. Recognize how you feel about Fowler now and, compared to how you could feel in three years about the guy that, you know, they would have otherwise signed just to fill a spot because they felt like they had to. I I think that's an interesting comparison. I think if you can guarantee that you're going to get a a superstar, like an elite player, that's worth spending on, that's worth going above and beyond for. But in this offseason, Marcel Ozuna, eh, pass. Nick Castellanos, well, I think he's going to do really well for, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, and I think Ozuna will do well for the Braves. Yeah, kind of like pass on those guys, unless unless you're talking about trading for Mookie Betts. It's kind of like, uh, you know, let's just see what we have. I think that's how the Cardinals feel, and I think part of that sure is baked in with the constraints of the payroll and and what they're going to be able to do, what Bill DeWitt tells them they can do, and that's what John Moselak operates under. And I I think for the purposes of this offseason, you can certainly have your grievances with, you know, the, the way they're going about it. But just keep in mind, it could look really good a year or two down the road. Whereas the Fowler thing looked good at the time, has panned out, you know, as a roller coaster of sorts. Yet to be determined the, the final product on 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 what that contract ultimately will end up looking like. But just know that over time, you kind of realize, yeah, things can change. So that's one reason that I'm I'm feeling like I'm more able to take a step back on this and say, you know, Lane Thomas was a guy I was clamoring for to get more playing time last year. And he did really well when he did get the opportunity, then he got hurt. Uh, Dillard Carlson is a player that everybody likes. Everybody thinks you know he's, he's due for big things when he gets a chance in the big leagues. Um, let's see what these guys have. So I understand it from that perspective. If you want to argue, though, that the Cardinals should be more willing from a payroll perspective to take on an elite player like Arenado or Betts, Betts would fit. I think Arenado is really the one that you could make a fit for, especially considering you know, what we've seen from him in Colorado and how he clearly wants out and how the Rockies seem to want to get rid of him because of the contract. I would agree with you there. I think I think the Cardinals should be willing to up payroll under the right circumstance. That would be a perfect storm of a circumstance. But beyond saying that's what they should do, and me knowing that that's not what they're going to do based on what Bill DeWitt has said, there's no sense in beating the dead horse to death. So that's why I'm... You know, can only spend so much time talking about that and writing about that before I'm like, gosh, this is boring. We got to talk about something else because this is not happening. Unless for whatever reason, the Rockies decide they're going to give the Cardinals a lot of money along with Nolan Arenado. So anyway, we'll go to uh, back to the questions. Mason Shepard asks, do you think any teams would be willing to take on Carpenter's or Fowler's salary? If there are any, do you think those players would waive their no-trade clauses? Um, with regard to Carpenter, I know Derek Gould had a report in the Post Dispatch that uh, seemed to have indicated that Carpenter would do what he, you know, what he believed is best for the franchise. He would not hold them back if if they were to attempt to trade him. Uh, he would not hold them back from doing so. He wants to be here, but basically, I think I think it seems like, based on what Derek Gould reported, that Carpenter would be willing to waive that. Don't know about Fowler, uh, but I I could speculate that if there was reason to believe that he wasn't going to play, then perhaps I could see it, but I, I don't know for certain. As for another team being willing to take on their salaries, I think in the context of a larger deal, that probably would be the case, especially I could see if you're talking about Arenado with Carpenter, you know, it would seem to make sense. I think Carpenter is going to have a bounce back season. Will it be to the extent that it was in 2018 where he was top 10 in the MVP voting? Uh, probably not because that was a overall a, a very good season with a, a lot of really impressive numbers that he put up. But do I think he could bounce back better than he performed in 2019 and maybe land somewhere in between those two seasons? Do I think he could return to an OPS of 800 or more? I do. I think that's possible. I think that's within the realm of, of possibility, especially if you consider that in this scenario, he'd be traded to the Rockies and playing his home games at Coors Field. So I think from the Rockies' perspective, if they were going to trade Arenado to the Cardinals, to me, it would make sense for them to be willing to take on Carpenter's contract. But for the Cardinals, I don't even think that would be enough. I think they would say, okay, you can take on the contract, and then how much money are you going to give us uh, to, to help cover part of Arenado's deal, what he has remaining on his contract? And that's where I think the Rockies would be like, you're out of your mind, we're not doing that. The whole point of this is to get rid of the money, not to, to pay money for him not to play for us. So um, I, I think I understand the Cardinals' perspective on that, and, and if that's where they're sticking, I kind of understand it. Um, from the Rockies' perspective, it's impossible to say because... Who, who? Again, as I've said many times, who really knows what they actually want? Um, here we go. Uh, Jess wants to know: Will we ever have a Jim Edmonds, Albert Pujols, Yachty, or Molina like era again? And you could throw Scott Rowland into that as well with the uh, the MV three back in the day. And Yadier was, you know, a young player at that point in time. It that's a lot of really good players on one team. I know Edmonds dropped off the Hall of Fame ballot probably earlier than he should have. Didn't get much consideration. Albert, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, Yadier Molina, should be in the Hall of Fame. Interested to see what that ends up looking like based on the debates that we have or that we see in social media. Uh, but no, I would say that's a that's a tough thing to have where you have four, and I'm, again, I'm including Roland in this, who uh, is still on the Hall of Fame ballot, to have four players like that in on one team as the Cardinals had in the mid-2000s Uh, That was pretty special. Those are special times to be a Cardinals fan, no question. Uh, Graham asked a good question. Do we actually have Carlos Martinez back? Uh, And he wants to know if uh, we'll also see Paul Goldsmith and Matt Carpenter of old in 2020. As for the Carlos Martinez question, I think it's a great question. It's a question that a lot of the Cardinals, you know, performance in 2020, like their ceiling, hinges on that question i think more so than any other major question that we have about the team right now because carlos martinez as your closer is a pretty good value he's a good asset carlos martinez as a starter with what he did 2015 through 2017 as we talked about yesterday in the starting pitching episode of b-shape daily uh kind of breaking down the rotation yeah that's a whole different ball game folks if he's a true like number one number two type pitcher which he was he, he ranked in the top, you know, couple dozen um, pitchers across Major League Baseball from 2015 to 2017, the only years in which he was a full-time starter in his entire career. Like, those three years are the years. He was either a reliever part of the year or got hurt, you know, whatever the case would be. But for those three years, he was sensational. And if you add that behind Jack Flaherty at this point in time, have a solid Miles Michaelis, uh, that could be a really formidable uh, top of your rotation. So, do we know? It's hard to tell. Everybody seems to be encouraged by his progress. But you know what? I remember being down there in Jupiter, Florida last year, and within the first couple of days, it starts happening. It was my first spring training. It was the first spring training that I ever covered. And you're sitting there at the picnic table, and the manager comes out, Mike Schultz comes out to do his morning talk, and then you can just kind of feel it in the air. The sense of this conversation starts to turn as he talks about Carlos Martinez. Well, we're gonna, we're going to – ease off him a little bit we're gonna step back a little bit you're like wait a minute are these the buzzwords that something is very wrong with Carlos Martinez and as it turned out to be the case yes in, in a lot of ways because he missed part of that season was not able to perform in a starting role which is what he's most valuable in and so I saw it firsthand how this can happen so quickly in spring where you think everything's fine and then boom within the first couple of days Somebody asked a question, and Mike Schilt's like, actually, before I answer your question, I have to talk about this other thing because, you know, you're going to want to know about this, and I'm just going to get it out there. That's kind of the way it was with Carlos Martinez last year. So hopefully he's back for the Cardinals' sake because what he can do in the rotation would be huge. Um, and hopefully he just stays healthy in general, and then it's a matter of can he sustain the you know a starting pitching workload um, but to be able to answer this question at this point in time, it would just be impossible uh, because, to, truth be told, the Cardinals don't even know right now. But very well, a question worth asking. As for Goldschmidt and Carpenter, I already kind of gave you my thoughts on Carpenter. I think a return to you know 790, 800, 810 OPS uh, is certainly within the realm of possibility. He was 726 last season, so I think he'll be I think he'll be much improved. But to expect that he's just going to jump right back to the performance he had in 2018 where his OPS was up near 900 I, I you know I think it was 893 I'm not expecting that necessarily uh, but hopefully consistency will be something that returns to his game and Paul Goldsmith would say the same thing his numbers were still pretty good 820 OPS last season hit the 30 home run mark uh, I believe he did anyway yeah 34 home runs for Paul Goldsmith last season uh, but the batting average at 260 you know that's certainly un paul goldschmidt like when you look at throughout his career he's been a guy that's been above 290 every year since he entered the league in 2011 he had a 250 average every year after that 286 302 300 321 297 297 290 and then last year 260 same story with his on-base percentage it was dropped about 50 to 60 points off of his career norms and the slugging percentage was down a touch as well Um, I think you're going to see more out of Paul Goldschmidt in 2020. How much more uh, is hard to say. I think his improvement over what he did in 2019 won't be quite as, like the range is not quite as big in my opinion for what Carpenter's improvement could be just because Carpenter had, you know, an OPS of 100 points lower, so I think Carpenter could definitely, within the realm of possibility, have a solid improvement. I think Goldsmith could improve marginally off of what he did last year because we should we should still recognize he had a very good season. Um, you know, his career OPS is before last year, especially well over 900. Will he get to 900 this year? I don't know. I'll probably mark it around 875. You know, but to think he was 821 last year 875 that would be an improvement so i think both guys will improve and keep in mind that's something the cardinals are counting on happening right when they're looking at their team for 2020 and improving you know believing that they're going to be better i think that's part of it uh, it's a huge part of it uh, within two guys that could be in the middle of that lineup um, more questions here somebody asked if we could Jennifer asked if we could put the Arenado story to bed once and for all not going to happen it's probably not going to happen but I don't think the story will go to bed until we either get you know deep into spring training and start talking about other stuff or the Rockies actually trade him somewhere else um, I feel like it's going to be one or the other before we actually can move on from the story Mark also asked how legitimate their chances of trading for Arenado were. Uh, I think we've already kind of covered that. Uh, Here's a good question from Echoes. Who is the new class clown of the dugout now that Jose Martinez is gone? Who keeps everyone having fun? You know, I think on the pitching side, it's easy to point to Adam Wainwright as somebody that keeps things light and energetic in the dugout. But you kind of saw with the bench mafia last year, you know, the starting pitchers kind of all tend to group together and and be a unit. The bench, who's going to be that guy to step up and, and kind of keep things light. I don't have a great answer for you right now. And you've obviously got John Brebbia out in the bullpen, keeping those guys in line, keeping those guys loose. Uh, But I I don't have a great answer as far as who could step up from the position player side. Uh, But I'll try to, I'll try to come up with one as we get down to spring training and get to see these guys interacting as the 2020 Cardinals and kind of see who emerges on that front. That's a good question. we got a question from Nico asking if there's any sense that Bader is working on breaking balls, Seems like pitchers could just spin him all day long, and he'd come out with a weighted runs created plus of around 70. And he said if that number is closer to 90 for Bader, he's an elite player, which is what I talked about in I believe it was Tuesday's podcast. Uh, I did a whole podcast earlier this week about specifically Harrison Bader and how he could fit into the 2020 team Another other guys that, that the Cardinals are counting on uh, for improvement in that lineup because, yeah, what he does defensively, he was a gold glove finalist, uh, you know, if he could just get close to average, as we talked about on Tuesday, offensively, he could be a, a tremendous value to the Cardinals. And so the question going back to it was, is he working on breaking balls? I would say listen to that podcast from earlier in the week because he did answer questions about that at winter warmup. The answer is yes in in, in short form, but there's more to it than that uh, in describing what he's been able to do this offseason. So definitely go back and listen to that if you're interested in, in the topic for sure. Steven asks, wonder why the Cardinals uh, wouldn't try to obtain Mookie Betts for a year. Um, understand the question. I think it's going to come down to the same thing with with Arenado, asking price. And it's a little bit different in this case because while you know Arenado would be around for a long time, the rub with that is how much you'd have to pay him. With Mookie Betts, is that you know he would not be around for a long time or you'd have to pay him. Like We're getting reports uh, that we're seeing on, on social media and things like that that Mookie Betts and the Red Sox are like a hundred million dollars apart every time they come to the table uh, talking about a contract extension. Like Betts wanted twelve years and four hundred million, the report was the Red Sox offered ten years and three hundred million. That's like a hundred and twenty million dollar difference. The Cardinals are not the team to swoop in and say, "Yeah, we're gonna we'll pay you that." So that's the reason they they know that if they do trade for him, they'll have to give up premium pieces and they won't be able to re-sign him based on what we're seeing is his uh, you know preferred area of of salary uh for for an extension it just wouldn't happen a good question from kevin any interest in puig haven't heard much about him all winter guy has a lot of talent could be a good bet behind goldie for a year or two especially if the price is right i totally agree with this like if the cardinals like my sense seems to be and i've said this time and time again so if i'm wrong i'm out there i'm on record i'll, I'll just tell you i was wrong uh, my sense seems to be the cardinals are not really looking in that area as far as adding to the outfield bat with a veteran that you're going to pay a few million dollars. But I said, I wrote about it. Like maybe it was November. It's been a while where I said five free agents that I would pursue. If I were the Cardinals, Uh, Jeremy Jeffers was actually on that list. He just signed with the Cubs for 850,000 as kind of a, a, an upside reliever signing. I thought that would have made sense for the Cardinals. Didn't necessarily expect them to do it. But another guy that was on that list when I wrote that article, I have to try to pull that back up for you was Yasiel Puig. I think he would be a tremendous fit. I think you could expect that um, on, on a one-year kind of pillow contract, he would be motivated. We know the talent is there. Uh, and, and you talk about injecting kind of some different life into the clubhouse. Some people talk about him being not a great clubhouse guy. I think you know you need different kind of personalities in a clubhouse. I think the Cardinals could benefit from Puig. And absolutely, we'll see what he ends up signing for. But I don't think it'll end up being that much. I, I, I think that would be you know, uh, an example where with Marcelo Zuna, I said 18 million for a guy that might be better than the guys you already have, but you don't know for sure. I don't know if that's really the direction you ought to go. With Yasiel Puig, it, it's not going to be 18 million. I don't, I don't think there's any way. And so you could end up looking at him if he signs for two years and 16 total, or one year and eight or nine. You could say that might have been something worth exploring. Um, At the end of the day, we'll see whether he, you know, ends up signing for something in that neighborhood, but I have thought, yeah, that would be kind of an interesting player for the Cardinals to get zero indication that they actually will. Um, Do I have interest in Puig for the Cardinals? Yes. Do the Cardinals have interest in Puig? No, Kevin, I don't think that they do uh, based on just the way that they've approached this offseason so far. And let's see another question here from, uh, I like this username, SchiltFaced, as in the last name of the manager of the Cardinals and Faced. Um, to indicate, you know, maybe you've done a little bit too much drinking. That's a, a clever uh, play on words. He just wants me to talk him off the ledge about this team and tell him it's all going to be okay. I I, I don't intend to do that, but I certainly, as I've done, you know, throughout this week, and we'll continue to do as we approach spring training, unless something changes. I, I feel the Cardinals are in a fine spot. They're not in a world-beating, going to enter the year as World Series favorites kind of spot, but I think they're in a position to where. I think the expectation certainly should be to win the division. If they don't, there will be questions to ask after the season about why they didn't uh, do more to pursue guys that could have helped them get there right now. You know, that's nine months from now. So there's time still uh, to, to wait and see what that turns into. But um, with what I'm doing here, I'm I'm just trying to give it to you as I see it. And I think the Cardinals are going to be okay. There are going to be other teams in this division that are going to, you know, be competing with them. The Cubs starting pitching could turn around and, Suddenly, you know, some of the names that they have in their rotation, you look at these guys and go, wow, that's a pretty formidable rotation and it very well might be. They have position players if they don't trade away anybody, uh, which there was rumors earlier in the offseason that they would. And now, you know, it's maybe that they're adding Arenado. So if they added Arenado, forget about the Cubs would definitely be in, in a good position. And when I think about, okay, I like Chris Bryant, though, as a player, too, so I I probably should consider them a little bit more threatening right now as of this moment than I maybe did in previous weeks of this offseason where, like, ah, the Cubs are kind of falling off the wagon. I think the Cubs could be in the mix. I think the Brewers could still be in the mix, even though they lost a lot of talent this winter. I think they've still got a good core to their team. And the Reds, obviously, have done a lot to improve. Everybody's going to beat the crap out of the Pirates this year in the NL Central. They might lose 100 games. Uh, but everybody else in the division, they could be vying for, you know, in that 81 to, to 85 win range. And it doesn't take much to be able to to bump it up beyond that five or six wins. And next thing you know, you've got something. You're, you're in contention for that division. So I think any of those teams in theory could do that. Uh, the Cardinals are certainly one of them and perhaps arguably at the top of the list. That's just the way I see it as of right now. I will continue to adjust these uh, predictions as the, the preseason goes along and certainly in season. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to give you my thoughts on a daily basis here at b Shave Daily about where I think the Cardinals are and, and where you'd like to see them go. I'll wrap things up now with this question that was asked by Paul asking Paul Phillips asks, is the gas pedal broken? Everyone seems to be making moves addressing their issues except for Mo and the Cardinals. I don't think that characterization is quite fair. The Reds certainly have been a team this week in this offseason that we've seen you know, make a run at things. But when you look at the Pirates, they're tearing down. You look at the Cubs; they haven't done anything really this off season. Uh, they might go for Arenado, and then you'll have plenty of room to complain. You know, Cardinals Nation, let it loose if the Cubs get Arenado and the Cardinals aren't able to do so, uh, especially the way the Cubs have been crying poor all off season. Um, but, you know, the Brewers haven't really done a whole lot. If anything, they lost more from their team than anybody else in the division this this offseason. So I don't know that it's fair to say everybody's been making moves but the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, you could argue that this is an off season characterized by the Cardinals are taking their foot off the gas a little bit rather than accelerating, you know, after an NLCS appearance, a lot of people would have liked to have seen, okay, what can they do now to accelerate to to put the pedal to the metal and get all that much better and go into 2020 expecting to reach the World Series and improve upon what they did last year rather than, well, we kind of hope that all these guys pan out. I totally understand that perspective, but I think as I've done and when you when you can kind of dive into this, Um, where I land on some of these issues is individual opportunity to individual opportunity. Talking about Ozuna, talking about Castellanos, talking about some of these moves they haven't made. I can see why the Cardinals prefer to take a step back rather than throw money at, you know, a perceived opening in left field where Ozuna has departed. You talk about Arenado, it's a different story. I think they should pursue him. I understand why they won't and I think a lot of that is based on ownership saying look we're this is what we can go to payroll wise we're not going to go beyond that if you can fit it in great if not I, we just we're just I'm just we're not willing to do that so I, you know you talk about Mo and the Cardinals I don't know that it's necessarily Mosellock not trying to get Arenado I also know Mosellock has belief in Matt Carpenter and that's who you would be displacing if you go ahead and go for Arenado so there, you know there are layers to this but I would say the gas pedal is not broken, but I think it's fair to characterize that this offseason, the Cardinals have decided not to utilize it, whereas in other offseasons, there has been a sense of desperation. Now, could you equate that to because they finally returned to the playoffs and they even won a playoff series, made the NLCS, that's the reason they can sit back, you know, rest on their laurels and say, well, we don't really have to do anything because we, we you know, what more do these fans want? We just made the Final Four. I don't think that's even their perspective. I know a lot of fans see it that way. Um, and, you know, some people might say, well, you're a hack for saying that, you, you know, you're just a homer you, You're taking the team side. I, that's really, you know, you're definitely welcome to that opinion. But I don't that's just not the genuine way that I see the card, the way the Cardinals are approaching this offseason. I think what they're doing is genuine belief in the guys they have in house when they look back and they see some of the talk about, oh, you got rid of Luke Voigt and he turned into this. You got rid of Oscar Mercado when he had a good season. What'd you get for him? Like, Tommy Pham, there are things that, you know, the front office probably sees and is like, you know, it's not that we regret these decisions because I think you can't really – Go about your business and trust in your evaluation as a front office if you are going to look back and say, Well, we regret this. Because you can point to each one of those and say, Well, with Blue Point, you got Giovanni Gallegos. He might be your closer this year. Like, you got some younger players that you, you say you're going to believe in in the uh, Oscar Mercado, the Tommy Fam deals. So they got to stick with, you know, stick, stick to their guns on some of these things. But I also think that there are times where they say, Look, maybe there is something to trying to maximize our resources and you know they always believe maximize your resources but maybe the best way to go about doing that in this case is to see what we have in the guys that we have and you know if none of them pan out the 40-man roster is going to look really different in eight months but if they do we're going to have some guys that we have under team control for a while and that's going to help us to be able to build this roster and this you know the depth of the organization going forward and so to them, this isn't the offseason where a big move is necessary. On the field, it will be decided whether or not that's correct. And I'm totally for letting it play out on the field rather than, um, in this case, bash them um, because they haven't done enough. I happen to be able to see, you know, for better or worse, I could be going down with the ship on this one. But I happen to see and tend to agree that I want to see what Lane Thomas can do. I want Dylan Carlson to be on the opening day 25-man roster and and in left field. You know, that would be be perfect. He has a good spring. There's no reason not to call him up, even if he's just 21 years old. If the Cardinals do the Chris Bryant thing and just waste him in Memphis for a couple few weeks in April, even though he's clearly ready, if he proves to be clearly ready— then you'll hear me criticize it because I don't think there's any necessity to do that, especially if you think he's a better player than the guys that you would be running out there in the Cardinals outfield instead. Because as we've seen many times over the years, these these pennants and these division championships and these wildcard berths come down to single games uh, more often than not. So if you think the guy that's in Memphis is better than the guy that's in the big leagues, that's when you'll hear me criticize. But I'm not going to criticize for not getting Marcelo Zuna because I I kind of agreed with the move. Um, You know, you could, you could make some arguments in other directions and I totally support those who have done so. But as of right now, as, as far as your gas pedal question, I think, you know, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about what the Cardinals have done. And I do like the, the KK signing, uh, because I, I did think they needed a starting pitcher. You could have made the argument that they, they could have really gone in and, and got a really bonafide stud. Like, go get Hyunjin Ryu. I don't know what he ended up signing for. I forgot. But it wasn't a back-breaking salary. You could have definitely made an argument for signing one of those guys. And you know, But for all we know, KK might be a better pitcher in 2020. So that's the beauty of this thing. Um, we're all going to have our opinions in the offseason. On the field, they're either going to be proven or disproven, and then we can talk about those as we go. So, I'm going to wrap that up here for today. I appreciate you guys joining me. Uh, this was episode four of B-Shape Daily. Uh, going to come, come to you with one more episode this week, tomorrow. We'll see if I'm able to do anything on the weekend. Um, But I'll try to keep these going on a daily basis for you guys should be able to subscribe at most of the places you get your podcast nowadays. I know Spotify is up Google Podcasts I think is up or it's close to being there. Apple podcasts may or may not be but all of them should be getting close. And so I'll keep spamming everybody on Twitter uh, and Facebook with that. When, when I get uh, confirmation that everything's up and running here over the next few days. Uh, one more thing, just going to plug the Facebook page that I'm running as well, facebook.com slash bshafer12. If you like Cardinals gear and stuff, you, you've seen me do giveaways on Twitter before of some of the things that I get. You know, they, they give the media the giveaway, and so there might be a jersey or a hat or whatever. I do some of those giveaways over there on Facebook exclusively as well. So if you don't want to miss out on anything, uh, I would appreciate it if you'd like the Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash bshafer12, same as my Twitter handle. And uh, we'd just uh, love to have you over there for the conversation as well. This is going to be where I leave you guys, though. I appreciate you for tuning in, and I will talk to you tomorrow.